0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com.
1: This episode brought to you by PetFlow, the leader in pet food and supplies. It's OBA with Arden Moore, the show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your Pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces, their perfectly pampered pets, and who's walking who in Renton, Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails, garner great pet tips, and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the paws and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. <coughs>
2: Welcome to the Obehave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host Arden Moore. Now it doesn't matter where you live; Mother Nature can unleash a lot of wrath. I mean, it just seems like daily there are news accounts about flash floods, fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, all kinds of nasty weather. We just can't keep our fingers crossed and hope a weather calamity won't strike our zip code. We have to be prepared, and we need to protect our pets. And here to help us come up with a workable game plan is one of the country's leading experts from the ASPCA. I want us all to give a big welcome to Dr. Dick Green. He is the Director of Disaster Response for the ASPCA's Field Investigations and Response Team. Wow, that's a long title, but you got a big job, Dr. Green.
0: Well, thank you for having
2: me. All right. I can just see your business card. It must go on the back page as the title keeps wrapping around, right? It
0: really doesn't. I'm a disaster guy. That's what I do. I chase disasters for a living. Who could ask for a better job than
2: that? I like that. I like that. So, listeners, what should you do to protect your pets, and what should you not do when a disaster strikes? We're going to find out on today's show from the disaster guy, Dr. Dick Green, so you guys know the drill. Sit and stay. We'll be right back.
1: Time for a pause. Four furry ones actually sit and stay. All behave. will be right back. It's the Daily doorbusters Busters from PetFlow, the leader in pet food and supplies. Opportunity knocks every day with hundreds of products offered at huge, huge discounts. Up to 80% for your furry best friends. And delivered right to your door. Go to PetFlow.com slash behave. These deals last for one day only, so act fast. 150 brands to choose from, pet food, treats, toys, and more items than you can shake a tail at. And get free shipping and orders of $39 or more. A new deal every day. Get your paw. On today's PetFlow Daily Door deal, go to PetFlow.com slash behave now. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com behave is back with more tail wagging ways to achieve harmony in a household with your pets. Now back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore.
2: Welcome back to the old show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest today knows far too well monsters that answer to the names of Hurricane Isaac, Hurricane Sandy, the Joplin Tornado. That's because it's the job of Dr. Dick Green at the ASBCA. He directs this national organization's response to natural disasters and he's there to keep our pets safe. He rescues them. As many of you know, September is National Preparedness Month. But, Dr. Green, I was surprised, and not in a good way, to learn of the new poll that the ASPCA conducted that found one in three people who have pets don't have a disaster plan in place. Now, that's both sad and chilling.
0: That number always surprises me as well. You would think, with as many disasters as we have in this country, that people would have spent just a little bit of time on preparing for for themselves and for their animals. You know, it's happening at the community level. It's happening on the human side. Um, Our emergency management folks are doing a a fabulous job on getting plans for humans. Now we just got to make sure that everyone has a plan for their pet.
2: And you've been at this business a long, long time. We're talking Katrina and even before that, correct? So, I mean, how did you go from you're a veterinarian? What said, oh, I gotta, I gotta get into the disaster gig?
0: Actually, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm a biomechanist. I was. A, oh, uh, biomechanist. A biomechanist. So, I basically taught biomechanics at the college level for 153 years. And. <laughs> I finally got so old that they kicked me out and made me go do disaster response. Now seriously, I was in the whole, during my, most of my academic career, I was also a firefighter. And as a firefighter, I got very involved in the technical rescue. and, And we decided in about 1997 that we were going to start putting the same kinds of technical rescue that we were doing on humans into the animal side. So I was very fortunate to get a leave of absence from the university and spent about 18 months developing the first technical rescue curriculum for pets. And we've taken that gig uh, all over the world. I've taught uh, technical rescue in probably a dozen different countries and certainly in most states in the United States. So we've made great progress, but we have a long ways to go.
2: I know a lot of people look at uh, Katrina as sort of the wake-up hurricane for a lot of people when it came to animals and all that happened. Do you agree?
0: Oh, well, absolutely. You know, if there was ever a turning point in the United States, it was Katrina. And... And, you know, unfortunately it takes a lot of mistakes to become a turning point, and, and we made every conceivable mistake. You know, we probably rescued close to 10,000 animals during Hurricane Katrina. Uh, nearly 7,500 of those were in a single shelter called Lamar Dixon. But of those 75 to 10,000 animals, maybe 40% were were reunited. We made a lot of mistakes, and we were committed to not go through that again. So, right after Hurricane Katrina, a whole bunch of good things happened, not only at the local level, but at the national level, and just as importantly, at the federal level, where today uh, we can respond to a disaster much more effectively and pretty much ensure that we're going to do everything possible to get those animals back to their owners.
2: Now, I think that leads into you. You were the chair of the National Animal Rescue and Sheltering Coalition. And I think that was uh, grew out of what happened, good and bad, with Katrina. So tell us a little bit about this organization and for our listeners, how that is making a difference for our pets.
0: When We were all in Katrina. We recognized, you know, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I came from fireside. And the fire department is known for having a very strong, what we call, incident command system the fire folks really know how to manage an incident. Um, The animal folks did not. I mean, we were very good at rescuing animals. But what we didn't understand was all of the intricacies that went into managing a large-scale event, such as Hurricane Katrina. So shortly after that, um, I organized uh, a meeting in Boston in June of 2006, and I invited all of my partners and all of the major agencies in the United States and the International Fund for Animal Welfare supported that. And, and that's when we first formed NARSK. Uh We started out by meeting every couple of months, and I taught incident command system, and I taught the various positions within incident management. But we soon recognized that we had potential to do a whole lot more. We recognized that we were really the leaders in the country in terms of how to execute a good plan and how to make sure that as many animals as possible were rescued. So that blossomed into what we are today. We have 14 members, almost, I would say, certainly most of the major players in the United States are members of, of NARSC, the National Animal, Rescue and Sheltering Coalition, including ASPCA and IFI and American Red Cross, the American Veterinary Medical Association. Uh, this is a very strong organization that really Uh, has been able to develop a large number of relationships with states and federal partners. And so today, we can go into it with with a lot more hand-holding. We didn't have that during Katrina. You know, during Katrina... Most of the states, and certainly the federal government, kind of looked at the pet people as strange. You know, there, there's another one of those animal huggers, and they really didn't respect us for what we brought to the scene. Today they do, because they know us. Today we sit down with all of the states. We sit down with our federal partners uh, two to three times a year. We have strategic planning meetings with our federal partners. You know, I just got back a week ago from from Galena, Alaska, where the federal government requested the, the pet people to come up and help with recovery plans. So we've just come so far, and it really was single-handedly, in my mind, uh, because of Katrina. So something really good came out of Katrina.
2: No, that's a very good point, Dr. Green. And I think also because people are so bonded with their pets, your organization is even more critical because I bet there are people who will not leave their home because there wasn't a place for their pets to be sheltered during a disaster, correct?
0: Yeah, they do. And, and, you know, there's certainly a reason for that at times. You know, there's there are those situations where the disaster occurs so quickly, like a an explosion or a gas leak or even a large wildfire can occur while you're away from home. But, you know, in hurricanes and, and, and other kinds of situations that are weather-related, we normally have a little bit of a lead time. So today, there really isn't much of a reason for a pet to be abandoned or left behind. Uh, We're certainly working on strategies and tactics on ways we can rescue those animals. But, you know, my goal before I retire is to have to retire. You know, if everyone had a plan and if everyone took their animals with them, I would be out of business and that would be, I'd just be extremely happy for that to happen.
2: So let's talk about it. What are some things that people should do for their plan and what are some no-no's?
0: Well, let's start with the good things. You know, I'm I'm from fire country, as you know. I, I live in California, and, and we're prone probably the number one disaster we have in our area are quick wildland fires.
2: Yeah, in I live our, in uh, San Diego. I'm watching the fires right now that are happening, and it's chilling. And,
0: well, you no, know, so in our garage, and, and I'm hoping that this will be a model that other folks can use. We, we have a number of animals. I'm not going to tell you in public how many we have, but... <laughs> Uh, I certainly have a fair share of cats and dogs. But if you went to the corner in our garage, you would see a very neatly stacked, all the way to the ceiling, of crates. And every crate has a piece of duct tape across the top of of the crate with the animal's name. And also taped on there is a water plastic type, you know, a sealable kind of envelope. And it has all the medical records. It has all of the information we need. We've got a couple of cats that have special dietary needs. And all of that is duct tape along with a picture and proof of all the vaccinations and their registries, any kind of, um, all of them are microchip, of course. And all of that stuff is in that packet Because when fires come, you've got to be moving quick. So that way we can just grab the animal. If it's a cat, we usually bring the crates inside because they don't like, scruff and going out in the garage, but we'll scruff them, throw them in there, all the dogs go in there, and then it's just a matter of bringing the truck back in and all of the animals in we go. So so having that on the front end, and I really like to think of a good disaster planning as having two parts, the front end and the back end. The front end is making the job easy in case things happen in a hurry. Remember, cats don't like, first off, as soon as they sense a disaster is coming, they're under the bed, they're finding someplace up high, they're doing something. That makes it very difficult to get out, especially right. when a fire comes. So, you know, you, having them a little ahead of time and getting them with the crate, that's not gonna hurt them at all. And matter of fact, it'll settle them down, put your pillowcase in there with them and they'll, they'll chill out. But you've gotta be able to get to them quickly and get them out quickly. And then you don't wanna be going around the house looking for that special information. You know, updated yep. every six months. It, it doesn't change that often. And if it was just there on the crate, boom, once you go out the door, everybody's ready. The other part, and as you know from living in San Diego, is you've got to have an idea of where the heck you're going. You need to know what your egress route is going to be. What's your escape route? And where we live, uh, if the fire happens to be coming up the draw, there's only one road. So we maintain a second access to get out. So know where you're going, and then know where you can take your pets on the other end. You know, people don't make those calls. They don't know where those hotels are. They don't know which shelters are going to be pet friendly. So a little bit of work today on figuring out where you're going to go tomorrow will save you a whole bunch of grief later.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I'm a master instructor in pet first aid, and I travel around the country, and I have a dog and a cat, Chipper and Ziki, and we do a lot of hands-on, but we talk a lot about how do you prepare a disaster kit, what you should have and not, and and people, you know, I, I say to people, don't replace what you need to replace in a disaster kit on the first of the year and on July. I always tell people, you know what, when we change our clocks, it's kind of a boring day. Why don't you use that day to be the one where you check all your things, the human, the pet disaster kits, the pet first aid kits, your carbon monoxide, your smoke detectors. What do you think about that idea?
0: I think that's a fabulous idea. You know, what I tell folks is that every time you change a bag of dog food or a bag of cat food, change the bag outside. So we, re- we actually then bring that bag in because we got to watch that date, and then we just kind of have a, a rotation. So instead of you know maybe going to the, to the inside, we start with the outside, we replace those bags, and just keep cycling them all the time. And we do the same thing with the water. So whether it be the changing of the, the, the time zone or whether it be the changing of the dog bag or the cat food bag, Also is a good time then to just change the bag, the food outside the garage, and the water outside. And and there are some climates where they can't store that stuff outside. Right. They have that water jug ready to go. And then if every time you change the dog food bag, which is usually for most people once a month, if they also just change the water and the bag that's going to be going on the evacuation, then that seems to work pretty well as well.
2: I always was taught to have something on your refrigerator that says, in case of emergency. So if something happened, there was a fire or a gas leak or whatever, and they're evacuating, the rescue team can know, oh, there's two people that should live here, but they're not here, and there's three cats or something. Is that something you recommend, that people should have some kind of information in an envelope visible to anybody that has to come in?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, most fire departments, especially in California, and I think that I know it's also true in the state of Washington, but most fire departments, and if you can't find those, there are other places if you do a quick Google search. I, I'm not sure whether we have that on our site. If not, I'll make sure that we do. But you can get that decal that you fixed right to, the, to your outside door. So when the fire department shows up, they can see right away how many dogs and cats we have and a phone number that they can reach you in. You know, as a firefighter, I can't tell you the number of times we would go to a remote area of the, of the state and I would see that the house, that we had the fire encroaching, and I'd be knocking on the doors, knocking, and I could hear a dog. And nobody else would call, the fire is coming, and, you know, now we're forced in a situation where we have to break that door down and hope that that dog's ready to go. But if we had that number, and not only if it's just a dog, but what if we have cats in there as well? So, well, right. that's a great point. I'm so glad you're you reminded me of that.
2: And do you think it's good to have drills, practice drills, even with the cats? <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. With the cats, but, you know, and we do it. Uh, we do it right in May when the fire season is coming up, and it's kind of it. It, it becomes one of those uh, pizza nights where we make it. Kind of
2: <laughs> that's a good way.
0: Everybody gets gruffed, and and it uh, is one time that they have to go through that. And like I said, we do caps a little differently because we've got a few more than we probably should because finding our way through the adoption program. But, you know, they especially need to be taught how to go in there. So we will, as, as the year goes on, we set crates up in the rooms and we let them get familiar with their crate and, and encourage them to go in occasionally. We, you know, it's at night we'll throw a treat or two in there just so if they're comfortable. A lot of cats, the only time they go in the crate is when they go to the vet. Right. That makes them nervous. So, we like to have that as kind of a special place and, and a hideaway, and, and, and that way they're used to going in there. So we make it a, a fun giggle on man. Of course, lots of treats come out once you do our drill.
2: Well, you make it more of a critter condo, which is more beckoning for a cat. And if I come back as a cat, I want to stay at your house because I'm going to be with the disaster yeah. man. Man, I'm going to be the safest cat on the planet. Okay.
0: <laughs> you well, know, I'm going to make sure you get out, that's for sure.
2: Okay. Hey folks, we're speaking with Dr. Dick Green. He's with the ASPCA and uh, he's the guy that's the Director of Disaster Response, Field Investigation and and all. He's there when we need him. We're going to talk a little bit more with this being National Disaster Preparedness Month what we can do to keep our pets safe right after we take this commercial break. And before we do take that break, I do want all of you listeners to check out the daily doorbusters that are being offered at PetFlow. I'm telling you, you can save up to 80% on some things you need to get, maybe like for your pet disaster kit and some food supplies, just go over to PetFlow.com slash behave and be sure to use the code word behave. And guess what? They're going to give you free shipping if you order anything above 39 bucks. That's a pretty nice deal. But we're going to learn more about how we can keep our pets safe with the good doctor, Dr. Green, right after this commercial break. So sit and stay. We'll be right back.
1: Time for a walk Ow. on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash, right after these messages.
2: It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops front paw sleeves and leash opening visit designerpetswetters.com to order your four-legged fashions today your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready large or small we fit them all designerpetsweaters.com let's talk pets
1: let's talk pets on pet life radio pet life radio pet, life radio. pet life radio.
0: .com. <laughs> holy
1: hound dog
0: Hi, this is Bert Ward, and you're listening to the Obehave Show with Arden Moore on pet Life Radio. Listen every week, same pet time, same pet channel.
1: We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper, and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to Obehave. Here's Arden.
2: Welcome back to the OBE Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest today is from the ASPCA. He is Dr. Dick Green, and he's here to keep disaster from our doorstep. And we've been talking about some of the things that we can do ahead of time by getting our pets acclimated to being in crates, having everything ready to grab and go when you have to, because Mother Nature doesn't always give you a lot of time. But, Dr. Green, what happens when a disaster does strike? And you've covered everything from Katrina to, you know, the Joplin tornado and more. I mean, it's the scariest feeling to be separated from your pets. So are there some things that we can do to try to be reunited with our pets should a disaster come up suddenly? And we're in point A and our pets in point B and we need to find them.
0: Yeah, and, you know, we just went through this and more tornado. earlier last, what was that, the first week of June, I guess, and and we we experienced literally hundreds of animals that were separated from their families. And tornadoes are a great example for those situations where we don't have any other than the the very brief amount of time when those those alarms go off. And in that situation, we had a lot of folks that were separated from their pets. But I'll tell you, the number one ticket home will be and always will be is the microchip. Okay. And if I just, you would think today that we would have seen so many more animals coming in with microchips, but they weren't.
2: And Unbelievable. And so,
0: at the end of that disaster, and we probably, uh, between their respective groups, we probably had three to four hundred animals at least. A very small percentage of them had microchips. Those that did went immediately home because wow. all we had to do is to scan them, get the phone number, contact the pet, if they had it only locally and within hours they were reunited The rest, we had to put up on websites, we had to put out PSAs, we had to go through a very exhaustive process to make sure that we had done everything possible to get their images up and get them reunited. You know, everyone is, is excited about the the opportunities that present itself with the web, and that's great, but you get into a situation like the Moore tornado where a lot of power is still out or people don't have access to the internet, You know, we're still dependent upon the phone or dependent upon other forms of registry. And in the case that never fails us is the microchip. I think
2: I've read it something like over 40% of the people get their pets microchipped, but then they don't take that extra step where they have to actually register the information with the chip manufacturer. I'm like, come on, folks, you're almost there.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because they, you're absolutely right. So few people actually register it nationally because they think, well, why do I need to do that? And of course, if they move, if they change their vet, uh, then we really, then it's a lot more work for us. But it's certainly a great start. If I've got that scan number, at least I can normally work my way back to the vet. The vet can normally work their way back to the records, but folks need to take the next step and register that on a National Registry Base. I think the other one that is incredibly helpful is when uh, we have photographs. Okay. Uh, we can take great photos of the animal when we get them on our end, but it's amazing how oftentimes whether they've been in mud or, you know, it, there's just so many different things that can change what an animal looks like. So being able to have the owner send us their photo digitally and us be able to compare certainly helps a lot with that having a description at home that you can email that's ready to go out is is helpful as well but so there's all kinds of things that we're getting pretty good at in terms of using social media and using the web and electronic methods but nothing beats the microchip
2: Yeah, I know. uh, In my glove compartment, I actually have photos of Chipper, Cleo, Murphy and Ziki, my furry fab four, because they are with me a lot. And uh, my big girl is uh, 60 pounds, doesn't really fit in a crate, but she has a harness and ID and all that. But if something happened, I have not only on my phone, but I also have information in my glove compartment. Do you think that's worth having people do?
0: It absolutely is. You know, and we're seeing a lot of folks today carry that electronically. Um, mm-hmm. They're actually taking all of that information and putting it on some type of either a thumb drive or a disc or something, and then having that available. And it And it just keeps track, and they're actually scanning in medical records and, Kind of a wave of the future, and having that so you know so that it's accessible and it's something that you could get out in a hurry is a great idea.
2: In our pet first aid classes, Dr. Green, we actually talk about an app called the Pet Saver app, and it's like four dollars and ninety nine cents. And you can download all your medical records. You can create a lost poster. You can find the nearest veterinary clinic, ER clinic boarding facility and you just swipe your finger and it has a lot of information written and in audio form in case your dog or cat got injured or stopped breathing or was bleeding. And it's all pet first aid and all that. It's amazing. I just think, wow, technology has come so far, but I love the idea of a thumb drive. But I also think people, if you're going to be wedded to that smartphone, don't you think having an app like a Pet Saver would be uh, worth the price of a latte?
0: Oh my gosh, what a great idea. You know, that's the first time I've heard about that app, so even the old-timers get a chance to learn the
2: lesson. Oh, cool. Yeah, go to PetTech.net. It'll have all the information on there, and uh, it was created by the gentleman, Tom Soames, who founded the Pet First Aid group, Pet Tech, and Pet Tech is very hands-on, and uh, even the folks that handle the dogs with Homeland Security uses that program. So I know the American Red Cross is sort of getting out of the Pet First Aid business, and so I'm glad that there's a group like this and that app it's amazing I still haven't learned everything it has on there but the audio part you just set it down while you're doing something when minutes count
0: you know it's probably going to be not too far in the future where we're going to have a microchip that we can implant uh, subcutaneously that will have all of that information on it and then when we scan it we're not just getting a number we're getting all of the information on it so it wouldn't surprise me if that's just not down the street
2: Okay, so we've had kind of a quiet hurricane season. I'm so nervous even saying that because, you know, (laughs) I don't want to screw up things. But what's some of the take-home messages you want to give our listeners? We've talked about microchipping and all that. But uh, right now, you know, we have major fires going on on the West Coast. It seems like you turn around, there's a flood. And and I, I just can't believe these cars that are just whisked away like they're nothing. So any parting advice you'd like to offer, Dr. Green?
0: Well, you know, first off, let's don't write off this hurricane season. And I know it's always bad luck to talk about the word <laughs> yeah. in this time of year. But you know, even NOAA has come back and said that they are they're going to keep their projection or their estimation of the number of storms. they are going to keep it exactly what they had in May, even though we are in September. So I think we're going to have a, an incredibly busy September and probably into October. So we've been very lucky that everyone now has planning time. If you live in the Gulf states, let's end along the East Coast. Because as you remember, Hurricane Sandy was closer to Halloween than it was to September. I think that occurred That's uh, true. around the 28th of, of October. So, you know, the season still has a lot of spark to it. And here's another little bit of trivia. You know, everyone wonders well where's the season. We're at Gabrielle as of today. Gabriel, I think is going to dissipate. Maybe as early as tomorrow. So we're at the G storms, and we're in September. In 1992, at this time of year, we were at A, and the A was Hurricane Andrew. So even though we may not, we may not have a, a full season, or we may get the season late. It only takes one. That's uh, right. If you think about Hurricane Andrew in 1992, it was the most devastating storm we had had on record. You know, since that time, we've had a couple that have, have surpassed that. And who would have thought that we would have had a storm like Hurricane Sandy at the end of October? When the water In New Jersey. <laughs> in Brooklyn New York. Yeah. That it did. yeah. You know, we had nearly 300 animals in our shelter in Brooklyn following Sandy. So these storms can happen late. And, and you know what? If, it, if we do all of the work and it doesn't happen, then good for us. But at least we're going to feel a whole lot better and sleep better tonight.
2: Before we leave, I need to give a shout out. I have a a friend who has seven Australian shepherds. And Megan, and they're a little bit different sizes, she practices a drill with all of them. She has a van, and they all have their name on their harnesses, and they have certain seats that they're strapped into in that van, and she practices her disaster preparedness. So I'm just thinking, hey, listeners, if this lady, Megan, can do it with seven Australian shepherds, don't you think if you have one or two dogs or cats, we can do it?
0: Absolutely. At least she at the advantage. They can probably drive the car as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. And they speak different languages. I mean, they're pretty cool. Right. <laughs> hey, I'm very honored and delighted that you could take the time to share some good advice for folks. Is there any place on the ASPCA that they can go to to learn a little bit more on how we can be better prepared?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We have an, an entire little section there for disaster preparedness. So go to the ASPCA.org and, and they'll work their way down to the disaster side and they'll find that site.
2: All right. That sounds really good. And at this time, I really thank you for being a guest on the show, Dr. Green. And I also thank my producer, Mark Winner. He makes this show happen each and every week. You know, guys, we got to play it safe for the sake of our pets. And uh, so it's better to be prepared and not have a disaster strike than not. Right, Dr. Green?
0: Absolutely. Perfect.
2: All right. So... Also, folks, don't forget, check out those daily doorbusters on uh, PetFlow.com slash behave and you can save on shipping. If you get orders above $39, why don't you check out some Pet First Aid and Pet Disaster Preparedness items that might be there. Be sure to use the code word behave and you get the free shipping. All right, guys, so until next time, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two-, three-, and four-leggers out there.